0: In First Peter chapter two, start reading from verse five. First Peter chapter two, verse five. Well, we'll start reading at verse four. We'll overlap a little bit from last time. And coming to Him as to living stone, uh, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This is the this is the precious value then for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they are disobedient to the Word. And to this... Doom. They were also appointed. Okay. So in verse four, it says it describes Jesus as the living stone. The living stone, the, the stone, the rock, this has always been a reference to the Messiah, to Jesus. The Bible is consistent in its in its uh, references and, and uh, uh, analogies, and it consistently, throughout the Old and the New Testament, this stone, or this living stone, is Jesus. And He has been rejected by men, and He's choice and precious in the sight of God, as we covered last time. Verse 5, And you also... As living stones. So he calls Jesus a living stone, and then he calls us as living stones. Uh, It's really interesting that he allows us to be associated with Jesus. This is very kind of him that he allows us to be associated with Jesus. He calls Jesus a living stone, and he says, And you also as living stones, plural. That means the people in the body of Christ. He calls us as living stones. And uh, uh, this identity with him, he identifies with us, and then he allows us to identify with him. Because in Hebrews chapter, chapter 2, verse 14 it says this. Hebrews 2:14 says this, "Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. that is the devil. Why did Jesus come with flesh and blood? Because it says his children were in flesh and blood. He identified with us. This is very kind of him. Uh, uh, He it, it 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 always reminds me of when a parent will shave their head in solidarity with their child who's undergoing cancer treatment. The child loses the hair. The father and often the mother will also shave their own head in solidarity with this child to say, Look, you're not alone. Jesus, in solidarity with us, takes on human flesh. That was very kind of him. And then what he does is he here, he here, he, he uh, allows us now to, to uh, uh, be called living stones along with him. And he says, You are being built up as a spiritual house. You are being built up. Some translations say that you are built as a spiritual house. This idea of being built up is actually quite a warming idea, meaning that I'm not done being built yet. I heard a message when I was an undergraduate in college. There was an Indian man coming through, and he talked, and and this really uh, uh, was nailed home to me because I lived in a house that was owned by the pastor. He had three homes and uh, where, where there was Christian discipleship uh, going on. And I lived in a house with with um, nine other Christian guys. And we didn't always agree all the time. I don't know if that ever happens anymore. But um, it certainly did at the time. We didn't always agree. And, and uh, people being who they are, I mean, there are differences and everything. And he talked about this being built up and how shoulders rub together. And it's interesting that, that uh, when, when you get a new mechanical system, or it used to be before there was laser cutting, uh, with new mechanical systems, it would always be a little bit noisy when you would start running the thing. And then the noise would start to subside as as the rough edges, the high points, would get sheared off and, and the gears started fitting to better, together much better. Now you don't get that as much like uh, uh when I was a kid, if a car got one hundred thousand miles, you feel like like uh, um, if a if a car got one hundred thousand miles you f- you feel like um, you 've gotten a lot of, a lot out of that car now if a car doesn 't get well over a hundred thousand miles two hundred thousand miles you feel like you didn't get your money 's worth and a lot of this is because of the laser cutting that occurs and the tolerances that are much finer on the mechanical parts and and everything is cut with with much higher tolerances but in any case there 's this rubbing together there 's this 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 friction that occurs and I remember that the the discipleship one of the discipleship pastors teaching us in the house he used to tell us this guy as we disagree and we work through things, he said, this is going to be the best thing for you in your marriage. Because there's going to be many things that you're not going to agree with, with your spouse. And you learn how to work through these issues. And that's very much the case. If you do not learn how to work through issues in marriage, you have a very difficult marriage. And... uh, you can you can do it. You can do it through counseling. You can do it prayer together, being able to talk together, but learning to deal with issues, and you learn how to understand each other. Uh, you, you learn what the person likes and what they dislike, and, and you can learn to work with them. I mean, Shereen knows when when I just don't want to talk, and so she just doesn't just start beating on me with talking when I'm just you know I, I, I'm reading something or I and. and uh, and if she has to interrupt me, she, she says, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt me, because she knows that I'm not like her where I can do 12 things at once. I just can't. And, and you'll find that most men can't. I, I focus in on something, and when I get interrupted, it's like, yes. You know, I'm trying to be patient, but I'm resenting it. And, uh, and because I know, for me, I can't just jump right back into it. I was just trying to figure this thing out. And then you get interrupted. So she knows she, she, she doesn't want to bother me. But for her, I, I can walk up to her at any time. and you know, she, she can do more than one thing at a time. You learn to understand each other. You get built up as a spiritual house. You get built up as a, as a body of Christ together. And uh, sometimes somebody says something that you disagree with. What are you going to do? Are you going to now divorce your spouse because you, ha- you didn't agree with them? I mean, what are you going to do? I've had people in this class, I'm trying my best to teach the Word of God and there was this this guy, he had been with us a lot, years and we worked with him through struggles and all sorts of stuff that he went through, and uh, he got through it and and he, he got much better and I, and I, I helped to set him up for a job and, and many things and so i 'm teaching out of the book of Genesis so you can go online and you can see where I taught out of the book of Genesis and Genesis is not an easy book to teach out of many people will say that they will never teach out of the book of Genesis or the book of revelation it 's a difficult Genesis is a difficult book, especially when you start when you get into the creation account because every Everybody's got sort of a different view, so I tried to describe two different opposing views, and I and I took no position myself. Well, what he 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 did not like the way that I took two opposing positions. He was one position and not the other, and based on that, he left. And so Shireen and I, he was gone for a while, and we asked him. He says, "Well, you know, I started going to another church. It just, you know, it, it confused a lot of the students the way he was teaching Genesis." Okay, so I'm teaching out of half a chapter, or one chapter in the book of Genesis, and on that basis, the relationship is gone. He has to leave and go somewhere else. After years of working with the guy, you see what I'm talking about? You will be in a church, and the pastor is going to say some things that you don't necessarily agree with. So now are you going to get up and go away? This was not a major theological point, like, I'm denying the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that, that's you know—that—that's that's the bedrock of our faith, that Jesus has risen from the dead. This is over something on the creation account that's very hard to interpret this, and you have two different views. But on that basis, he got so flustered that he left. If you leave on things like that, it's going to be hard for you to maintain yourself in a marriage. What happens when your children start disagreeing with you? Well, when you're very, they're very young, you dominate and, and 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 you win but when they get to be teenagers they will they will find the pressure points just to get a rise out of you and apply those and and, and then then there's going to come a day then there is going to come a day when when um uh uh when they they they're, they're, they're going to be on their own and you have to release them and uh, one one guy was just asking me. He says, "Does your daughter do such and such?" I said, "No." And he said, "Why not?" I said, "Because she's thirty-eight. She's her own woman now. She's thirty-eight. Uh, you know, she decides what what she does in her life. I don't dominate in this anymore. So so uh, uh, we are being built together. This is a spiritual house. This is a body of Christ. People say I don't agree with you on this, and I'm like." I, there's so much th- that I say that I even teach myself that I don't agree with when I'm walking out of here. I'm like, do I really believe that? You know, just teach. And, and things evolve over time in the sense that you will teach something and a few years later you'll, you'll have kind of a different view about it. This happens in the body of Christ. You don't just up and leave because somebody says one little word. Uh, uh, so, so uh, uh, he says, you are being built together as a spiritual house, f- as a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, there are spiritual sacrifices. Now, he is talking here he is speaking here, as we, we said, to Messianic believers, to Jewish believers. And so there are going to be some things here that are in a context around Jewish believers. But every believer, the, 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 the body of Christ, every believer as being part of this, this new priesthood is underscored, not here, but in the book of Revelation. Three times it talks about how the general body of Christ, whether you're, you're Jew or Gentile, you're being built up as... As a priesthood for the Lord. So, with that, let's let's see what are some of the things that we're supposed to do. Because he says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So anything that we do to make it acceptable to God, it comes through Jesus Christ. This is why we forever shall be thankful to Jesus. He has opened the door that we could do something that would please God. I mean... The, the Bible even describes human beings as worms. I mean, in relation to God, there is not much. there. It says none seeks after God. No, not even one. There's no one good, there's no one seeking. So how is it that we could offer up spiritual sacrifices that would be pleasing to God? It's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of the love of God comes to us through this prism of Jesus Christ. His light comes to us. It's because of Jesus that we can approach God. Because the Bible even says that our good works are as filthy rags to God. But it's because of Jesus that they are made well. He is the creator of the entire universe. What could I ever do that would be a spiritual sacrifice that He would be pleased with? It's because of Jesus Christ. That one such as me, could do something that would please God it's because of Jesus it's all because of Jesus it's all through Jesus Christ but what are the sacrifices so, so let's look, look at them I have them outlined on the board here so if, if you go to, to Romans, Romans uh, uh, chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 it says verse 1 therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship so, he doesn't, in, second P- in First Peter chapter 2, outline what the spiritual sacrifices are that we are supposed to make. But it's outlined other places in Scripture. So, in Romans 12, one, he says, your body. What happens is, we are slaves to the devil before we are saved. That's what the Bible says. We've covered it before in the class, so I'm not going to go back over it again. Just trust me, it's there. We are slaves to the devil. Once you get, get saved, you are delivered from that. You are no longer a slave to the devil. But you are not a slave to God. You are free. You are free. But then what he does, he doesn't command you, but he urges you, he encourages you to offer now yourself up to God as his spiritual bond slave. What was a bond slave in the Old Testament? A bond slave was one who loved their master so much that they would willingly give themselves as a slave to that master, to be with them for the rest of their life. They could never step, step out of that. And they would take their earlobe and they would take an awl and they would pound it through the earlobe into the door of the house as a sig- signifying that you're a bond slave now. But the person did it willingly. Did it willingly. Paul here is speaking to them in Romans 12, 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, not commanding, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I urge you now to commit your life to the Lord. You are now free because of what Jesus has done. I urge you to come under His submission. I urge you. He doesn't force us. He says, I urge you, because it's going to be very good for your life. I did this with my kids all the time, that I'd encourage them to do certain things in life. Because I said, I know if you do this, it will go well for you. You know, I could have said, go out, lie all you want, cheat all you want. No, but all of us know that doesn't work. I urge you. To walk in honesty and in uprightness all the days of your life. Because then it will go well for you. I urge you to do this. So that's what he's doing. He's urging us to do that. And so uh, the first thing is the body. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. Why is it that when you go to a church service, they're singing all these songs? Because the Bible says this is a sacrifice to God. We don't come offering up animals anymore. We don't do that anymore. Our praise to God is a spiritual sacrifice. Offering of our body to God in service to Him is a sacrifice. Our praise to God. The praise isn't just in singing. I urge you to to spend time just alone with God and just telling Him. What you, just, just praising Him for, for, for who He is, for what He's done in your life, for the wonderful things. Just giving thanks to Him all the time. This is praise. This is the sacrifice that we are called to give and to do. And then if you look at, at the next one, is in Hebrews 13, verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Good works... Doing good is a spiritual sacrifice. You do good work, this is a spiritual sacrifice to God. And I encourage you to do this. When you are doing a good work for someone, a good deed to someone, to look at it as if you were doing this for the Lord. And the reason is, because you will do good deeds for people, and a lot of times they won't appreciate it. And you would be like, I'm taking my time and helping that person, they don't even appreciate it. That's what happens. But if you have done it for the Lord, the Lord appreciates it. If you just serve people, you will get wiped out. It will wipe you out. But if you serve people by serving the Lord, then you have strength. Then you will have strength for the long term in serving for years and years and decades to come. I have seen young people come into this class and they they'll just immediately start serving and picking up chairs and doing everything. And after two weeks, they're gone. They stop doing anything, as if okay, I've done my work now. Everybody else, no. If you if you if you learn how. My service, my good deeds to others is a service to the Lord. You will go decade after decade in service to Jesus for what He's done in your life. He says, you do good and sharing, the, the giving of, 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 of uh, uh, gifts, Th- this, this whole idea of, of material possessions. Material possessions. So for example, in, uh, in Philippians 4.18, in Philippians it says this, Philippians 4.18, But I have received everything in full, and have an abundance, and am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He says that, that donation that you sent on my behalf, for me, that donation was a sacrifice to the Lord. Material possessions are a sacrifice to the Lord. Good deeds are a sacrifice to the Lord. So when you are giving... You think about this is my offering to the Lord. This is my offering to the Lord. Because sometimes you'll give and you'll think, These people don't even appreciate it. It's for the Lord. It's for the Lord's work. It's for the Lord. And so this is what he's talking about. That there are these things that we offer up, and then in Ephesians chapter five, verse one and two, it's a self dedication. Therefore, be imitators of God. This is this is a terrific verse. Be imitators of God? Yes, we are to imitate God. That's why God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to show us what it was, what we should be doing to live for Jesus, to live like God. We are to be like Jesus. Paul even said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He said, you can look at me. As I imitate Christ, you can imitate me, Paul says. We are to be like Jesus. This is why we can learn from more, more mature people. Uh, when When I was a student... I always hung out with my pastor. When I was a graduate student in a whole different city, I got to know the pastor. I always hung out with him. Why did I do this? Because I learned from him so much. I learned from him so much. And Shireen always hung out with the pastor's wife. Why? Because she would learn from these older women. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a, as a fragrant aroma. Jesus offered up his life. It was a life of self-sacrifice. We are to offer up our lives. This goes against our flesh. Our flesh, it's all about me, what's good for me. How is this going to please me? How is this going to benefit me? And God is constantly putting us in positions where He's trying to take from us trying to for us to see that it's not about you. It's about the other person, giving preference to the other person in love. These are the spiritual sacrifices to which He has called us. Now let's read on. Verse six in in, in uh, second in, in 1 Peter chapter two verse six. First Peter chapter 2, verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So he said in verse 6, this is contained in Scripture. To Jewish believers, this meant the world. This is contained in Scripture. Once you say, it's in the Word of God, it is there. This was the remnant. This was the remnant in Israel that believed, that took hold of Messiah. This was the believing remnant. If it's contained in Scripture, he says, now what I'm doing is I'm quoting from the Old Testament. This is contained in Scripture. This is what should happen to us. The Bible says, and we should be like, what does it say? When it when somebody speaks like this, and it, it, it should get our attention that the Bible says this. It's not just my own feelings. It's not just, just this. It's the Bible says it. This is the Word of God. When, one guy sent me a, a his book to read, and he wanted particularly my comments on one chapter, and so I gave him my comments on the chapter that I thought he was going to have problems with that chapter uh, uh, because it could probably have been written a little bit differently. And so he totally threw out that whole chapter, and he rewrote it, and he sent it to me. He said, "How does this sound?" And I said, "Well, it's at least half right because half of the chapter is Bible verses." <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, so I know it's half right to begin. I said, "You did a much better job, but but they can't come against you for at least half of it because half of it is Bible verses. The scriptures are our guide." When the scriptures speak, it should get our attention. This is what the Bible says. So you can't just say, well, that doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to you. Whether you think it applies or not, it will have its effect in your life. Neglect it, you will pay the price. Obey it, and you will be blessed. Regardless of whether you view it that way, it will happen. If you disregard it, you will pay a price. If you regard it, you will be blessed. Because it's scripture. These words, the words in this book, are breathed by God. These are penned as if by His own hand. These are spoken to us long after every one of us is dead and gone and rotted away totally in the ground. This word will remain. This word will be here. You think that our culture is smarter about certain things than this book? It's not. Our culture will be done away with. It will be done away with. There is no reference that I have ever seen to the United States in the Bible. None. No reference to the United States in the end times. None. You hear about Egypt. You hear about Syria. These areas of the world. You hear about Damascus. Nothing. 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 About the United States. This culture will be done away with. And all the ideas and all the wokeness, it's all going to be gone. This book will remain. Because it's the Word of God. This book will remain. And I have seen in my own life people challenge this in different cultures. I grew up in the 60s when there was free love and everybody was sleeping around. And and, and, and marriages were just being traded around as if people... And utterly destroyed... Wiped out marriages, wiped out families, wiped out people. It didn't work. Cultures come with these sort of things, and they get destroyed when they disobey the Word of God. These things come and go. This Word will remain. He says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. God said, I put that stone there. That's Jesus the Messiah. I laid that stone in Zion, in Israel... In Zion, which is, which is the mountain and the surrounding mountains are actually uh, 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 Zion. I lay in Zion. God put that stone there. God put Jesus there. I put it there. A precious cornerstone. To me, that's precious. He says. And then he says, And he who believes in Him will not be disappointed. He who believes in Him will not be put to shame. He who believes in Him will not have to run. He who believes in Him will not be disappointed. I mean, I take hold of this as I'm preparing for this class. I read this verse. It says, and, "And He who believes in Him will not not be disappointed." That in the end, I am going to win. In the end, you know, maybe maybe there's something that happens, but in the end, in any life of the believer, because the believer is always going to win. Because when even when we die, we're going to go to be with Him. So he says behold i lay in zion a a choice stone a precious cornerstone and he who believes in him will not be disappointed this precious value then is for you who believe but for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected this became the chief this became the very cornerstone okay so he says this precious value then is for you who believe it's for you who believe you who believe, it's for you. But he says, he says, uh, um, uh, it's, it's for you who believe, but for you who disbelieve, it's the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. Now how can that be? The builders rejected the stone. The builders rejected it. How did it get to be the cornerstone? If the builders said, no, we, we don't want this we are certainly not going to make it the cornerstone. How can this be? It's because God rules. God's in charge of everything. You didn't want the cornerstone, God just pushed it right back in. You push it up, boom, you puts it right back in. God is in control. You think that you run the world, you don't. I don't run the world, you don't run the world, God does. The builders rejected the cornerstone, God pushed it right back in. God put that stone there, and that stone is staying there. Jesus is the one, and He is there, and He is going to rule, and He will be there forever, because God rules this earth. They don't. Their disbelief did not hamper God's plan. Their disbelief destroyed their own lives, but didn't hamper God's plan. We have to believe. This is why I urge you to take hold of this and believe the Word of God. Believe it. So, if we look in, in uh, Hebrews chapter chapter four, Hebrews chapter four, verse one. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. When we hear the word of God and it's not united by faith, it does not profit us. It does not profit us. There's no profit in that. No profit without, without uh, uh, that in the Word of God. Turn to, to John, the Gospel according to John. John chapter, chapter uh, 3. The last verse in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There's many, many Bible translations translate this, put it this way. He who does not believe the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So, So, for example, the King James puts it this way. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not... But he who disbelieves will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So whether you translate it as 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 believe or obey, you say, well, well what's the problem? Here? Look, if you knew something about languages, you'd know that they're not. It's not always that easy to do a direct translation. You have two different, three different translating groups, and there some words are going to be a little bit different. But the but the context is certainly the same. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not believe, or he does, who does not obey, will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So if you have in your mind, if you have in your mind that God would never allow anyone to go to hell because he's all loving. What do you do with a text like this? I'm just wondering. What do you do? If, if, if that's your view, what do you do with a text like this? You know what I think? I think if if I disagree with God, one of us is right, and it's not me. All right? He's right. I'm wrong. This is what the scriptures say. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey or he who does not believe in the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So when they rejected the cornerstone, God said, He'd put it right back. They rejected it. Boom, he put it right back. Then He threw them out of the land and He put it right back and He made sure it wasn't going to move. He put it right back there. God was in charge. Those who disbelieved, it still was the cornerstone. The cornerstone remained. It still was the cornerstone. You disbelieve in Jesus. It, he still is the Son of God. He still has come and died on the cross for sins. But it won't profit you at all if you don't believe. He still is the Son of God. Forever and ever, He's the Son of God. And then if, let's look at again in... in, in in 1 Peter chapter 2, The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It became a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You know, there's many things in the Word of God that can lead to an offense. Many things that can lead to an offense. Uh, and, and what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that offense? In Matthew in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, um, let me find that, Matthew chapter 11. Let me go there. We're going to start reading at verse 2, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard the words of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said, Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said, Go and report to John what, you've, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. There are many things that are going to be said in churches... That offend you. If it's from the word of God, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. It is only natural that the word of God should offend us. Why? Because we are stinking sinners and God is pure and holy and righteous. I mean, there's such a difference between us and God in purity, in holiness, that like every sentence in this book sh- should offend us. And should call us to do something that we don't want to normally do. Blessed are you. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. In John chapter 6, Jesus said from some very hard things. He said, Unless a man eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, he has no part of me. And it says many of the disciples, when they heard this, it says they, they just couldn't bear it and they left. And he turned to the twelve. He says, Do you want to go away too? And Peter says, To whom shall we go, Lord? You have words of eternal life. and and, uh, uh, So he says, We've come to know that You are the Holy One of God. That's the bottom line. Do we love Jesus? There are going to be things that He says, things that the Bible says, things that we hear, that bring offense in our lives. These people were offended by the things. He says that it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus is a rock of offense. But that should be the way. Because He's so much greater than us. And He's calling us always to be like Him. Remember, we are to be like Him. We are to be like Jesus. This is what He calls us to. If you don't know the Lord, I urge you to come and know the Lord today. If you're here today, we're going to have. there's going to be a church service and then we're going to have a lunch. Please come to the lunch and let me talk to you. Just let me get to know you. Let me know. You know, I, 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 won't, I won't know to come and talk to you. But if, if you have any interest in hearing more about Jesus and why I believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, how can this scientist believe in the physir- physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? How can that be? Well, you have your opportunity to hear from me in person. Just come to the lunch this afternoon and, and uh, tell me that you, you want to hear this story and I will tell you. I will gladly tell you my story. You have an opportunity that, that uh, um, so take advantage of it. If you are online and you want to hear this, send, send to me a, a, uh, an email to tour at drjamestour.org, tour at org, and I will get together with you by Zoom and I will tell you why I believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is only for unbelievers. Believers, Maybe some other time. But for unbelievers, this is an invitation for unbelievers. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. My Father, I thank You. And I pray, Lord, for the unbelievers that You would save a soul today. Save souls today, O Lord, I pray. Lord, I thank You For what you have done on our behalf. That it's through you that we can approach God. Through you that we can approach the Father. Thank you, Father, that you kept pushing that cornerstone right back. That people reject him, but he remains. Thank you, Lord, that that cornerstone remains. Lord, I pray for the believers here. That they would remember something from this message. When there's friction in a marriage or friction in relationships or they hear things in a church that that upset them. Father, I pray that You would build in them strength and resilience. Father, I pray that they never become offended with Jesus to the point of leaving Him. Lord, I pray You build them up in life. The grace of God be upon them, upon their relationships, upon their future marriages. Lord, I commit them to You for the glory of Jesus.